Well, hey, neighbor, I hope you're watching today with friends and neighbors, maybe life group members, together at a watch party as we prepare today to enter into the Word of God and to celebrate what God has done for us in communion together. We're in week three of this series, Love Thy Neighborhood. We've talked already from the words of Jesus and the commands of Scripture, and we've seen how Jesus encourages us to have a ministry of proximity. And he then, in week two, we talked about how he encouraged a ministry of mercy. This week, we'll see both of those things come together, proximity and mercy, in a scene at a party. What we're going to see today is how Jesus uses social spaces to build spiritual bridges. And part of our call, then, to love our neighbors is to do the same, to follow the example of Jesus, to, build, to use social spaces to build spiritual bridges. And we see Jesus model this for us as it so happens at a party. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 2. John is in the New Testament, so past the halfway point, almost two-thirds of the way through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. If you hit Acts, Romans, Corinthians, you've gone too far. So John chapter 2 And we come into a scene where Jesus is invited to a party. And Jesus uses this social space, as he does so often, to build a spiritual bridge, to communicate something that he longs to do in us. So John chapter 2, pull it up in front of you or watch the screens. John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, says that on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the top, up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So Jesus, just prior to this moment, has called his first disciples. This is very early in his ministry. In fact, he hasn't really even begun his public ministry at this point. He's he's called his disciples. He's gathering them and preparing to step out. And this is his moment of stepping out. He begins his public ministry here at a party. John tells us right on the heels of calling the disciples to himself, Jesus In Cana, which is within the province of Galilee, Jesus is invited to a party. He's invited to a wedding party. 
Now, when we think invited to a wedding, we think of sitting in rows in our suits and our ties and observing a ceremony, observing the bride and the groom exchanging their vows. But understand, in Jewish culture, being invited to a wedding was something altogether different. Jesus and his disciples weren't just seated watching someone take vows. They were invited to a party. Because in Jewish culture, it wasn't as much the ceremony that commemorated the union It was the wedding reception that commemorated the union. And so everyone had gathered to commemorate this union, this coming together, and it was done at the reception at the party. And we know it was a party because the text says that the wine was flowing. Jesus is invited into this space with his disciples. But John tells us that in the midst of the wedding, there was, in fact, a problem And the problem was, verse 3, the wine ran out. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus came to him and said, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, this is not disrespectful of Jesus. Uh, To address a woman in this way is actually uh, addressing her with formality. Culturally, it was um, not just formal, it was uh, respectful. But Jesus in this moment is pushing back a little bit on Mary. Mary is dragging him into the scenario, and he's saying, my hour has not yet come. Now, every time that statement is made in the scriptures, the hour refers to a time of God's revealing. In fact, in the book of John specifically, John will use this term and this phrase seven to eight times, always referring to the revealing of Jesus, the revelation of God's plan through Jesus, through the Messiah. John chapter 17, verse 1, when Jesus says, the hour has now come, it's when he is praying right before he goes to the cross. He is acknowledging, when he says the hour has come, he's acknowledging and speaking of the cross, of the fully revealed plan of God for him to die as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. So here Jesus is saying the hour has not yet come. It is not his time to give up his life in that way, to be revealed to all who are watching. And yet what I love in this moment is this delightfully confusing scene where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And yet Mary just ignores that and turns to the servants and says, hey guys, do what he says. Do what he says. Jesus then in this moment just continues on. It's a startling thing for us to read because it seems like Jesus is saying, no, I won't get involved, but then he gets involved. When, when what Jesus is really saying is the time for my public revealing has not yet come. For me to be publicly known and publicly lifted up for the sacrifice of sins, that's not yet come. And yet, Jesus does care about the details of our lives, and he cares about what is happening at this party. He cares about the little things that are devastating to us. And so Jesus involves himself in this scene. Now understand, in Jewish culture, for wine to run out at a wedding party, a wedding reception, was a huge deal. This is not just embarrassing for the people throwing the party. It is an insult to those they are celebrating. Because again, this party commemorates the union It is the official coming together of this couple. And to run out of wine is to spoil this moment, to spoil the celebration, and to taint the coming together. Not only that, it's something that everyone in the village would remember. 
So it becomes a stain on this family. The fact that they ran out of wine shows that perhaps they had not planned well enough or perhaps they simply didn't have the means enough, the economic means enough to provide. It's an embarrassment. And Jesus in this moment cares. Jesus cares for these things that are devastating to us. Jesus leans in in the moment. Understand There is no 7-Eleven. Jesus can't just send his disciples down to the corner store to pick up more boxed wine. In this day and age, good wine would take months to produce. What Mary is asking him to do in this moment shows Mary's faith in her son. She's calling him to do something significant, and Jesus cares. So John tells us in verse 6 that there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus is then in verse 7 asking the servants to fill them to the brim. He is about to make between 120, 160 gallons of wine. He tells the servants, verse 7, to fill it to the brim and then charges them to draw some out and take it to the master of the feast, verse 8. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted it, he tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and in verse 10, he says, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you but you have kept the good wine until now. Consider how bizarre this scene is, especially for the servants, right? Mary charges the servants, hey, listen to this guy, whatever he says, do. And then she walks away, and there these servants are staring at Jesus. Understand, Jesus has just begun his ministry. He's not performed any significant miracles up to this point. They had no reason to believe that Jesus could do something significant in this moment. And yet they listen. And they obey. He tells them to fill these six stone jars, these jars that are used for the ritual washing and purification, preparation for meals, preparation for for coming together. These jars were used for cleansing. And here Jesus asked that they be filled to the brim with water. And then he tells one of the servants to dip in and take that water to the master of the feast, the one hosting the party. Why would these servants have any reason to believe that this would matter? You you can imagine in this scene, like at any party, at any restaurant, when food runs out or something happens to the order, we get snarky with the waiter, right? We get snarky with the waitress. These servants are probably dying in this moment because everyone is pointing at them and getting angry with them that the wine has run out. And now Jesus is asking this servant to take a cup of what he assumes to be water and to walk it back into the party room and to serve it after everyone has likely already been pushing on them. This is a vulnerable moment, and yet the servant obeys. And the servant takes this water and he heads back out into the party and he serves it in the cup to the master of the feast. I'm sure with a lump in his throat, with butterflies in his stomach, what on earth is happening? And the master of the feast tastes, and his eyes light up. Everyone serves the good wine 
first. They roll out the best wine first so that the first sips are filling the palate with all of the senses, all of the smells, all of the tastes, and it leads and kicks off this grand celebration. This is a wine worthy of a wedding. And then after people have been drinking for a while and senses are dulled, then they roll out the watered-down stuff, the, the boxed stuff. But this master tastes this wine and realizes that this is, in fact, the better wine, the best wine. Jesus has performed a miracle in this moment. And John says in verse 11 that this is the first, the first of Jesus' signs. The first of Jesus' signs. Now, the story just abruptly ends there. But there are two things that I want us to take away from this story. Two things that I don't want us to miss. First, I want you to notice something about Jesus. Because Jesus in this moment gives us a model for how we're to operate in the world. A model for what we are to do. And how we can even love those around us. First, notice that this scene is social. This scene takes place at a party, not at a synagogue. In fact, this was more often than not Jesus' MO, his, his mode of operation. Jesus, more often than not, associated himself and got near to people at parties, at dinners, at feasts. Jesus here in this moment is entering a scene that is social, Jesus is not only invited to a party, he willingly goes to it because Jesus is in the habit of drawing near to those who are far from God. And that should be our habit as well. I mention this because for many of us in the church, we have this picture of God and this picture of Jesus, I, I believe, that doesn't fit with the picture of Jesus at a party, especially a party with wine. Our picture of Jesus is one of being stoic. Our picture of God is perhaps one of being distant and removed. Maybe Jesus, our, our minds would paint this picture of Jesus in the corner of the party with his arms crossed, watching everyone drink freely. And yet that is not at all the picture in the scriptures. Jesus isn't only invited to this party, he willingly goes. And Jesus doesn't just go to the party, Jesus blesses the party and brings more life to the party. He adds the better wine when the party is falling off. It shouldn't be shocking to us because Jesus was regularly in his ministry found to be dining and, and communing with people in these settings. And there is a point to this to be made. We see over and over and over in the scriptures that Jesus uses social spaces to build spiritual bridges. Jesus uses social spaces to build spiritual bridges. And there's something to Jesus' model here that we need to recognize and embrace. For us to be followers of Jesus, then we too are called to use social spaces to build spiritual bridges. 
Think again in Mark chapter 2 when he calls Levi a tax collector. Levi goes and throws a party with all his sinners and tax collecting friends and Jesus attends that party so that he might be near them. It happens again in the book of Luke and Luke chapter 7. The Pharisees who were also far from God, whose hearts were hard, the Pharisees throw a party and invite Jesus to dine with them and he does. In Luke chapter 17, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, throws a party, a great dinner for all of his friends and invites Jesus. And Jesus says, today I'm going home to your house, Zacchaeus. Over and over and over again, Jesus uses social spaces to build spiritual bridges. And so we see the Apostle Paul do this in the New Testament as well. Paul goes out to social spaces to build spiritual bridges with those who are far from God. Let me just ask you a question. And let's reflect on this for a moment. What does this say about Jesus, that Jesus was invited to the party and willingly attended? What does it say about Jesus? I believe it says this about Jesus. Jesus was approachable. Jesus was relatable. Jesus was personable. Jesus was hospitable. Jesus was available. And so let me just ask you a question. Are the things that are true of Jesus true of you? Are you approachable? Are you relatable? Are you hospitable? Are you personable? Are you available? Are you social? Because Jesus used social spaces to build spiritual bridges. Here's the thing. We cannot have impact without contact. And Jesus pursued those who were far from God and willingly entered these spaces that he might build a bridge. I grew up hearing an old expression. Maybe you were familiar with it. Maybe you even said it. It's an old expression, an old quote, that some people are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. So heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. It, it, it was meant to suggest that there are some people who are so stuffy spiritually and so far removed from day-to-day life with those who are lost that they were of really no good in bringing the kingdom into the darkness, bringing light into darkness. Some people are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Some, I imagine, hearing this right now are comfortable with the fact that I'm suggesting that we attend parties, that Jesus was a party goer. You're very nervous and you're wanting me to ensure that I tell people not to sin, that I tell people to behave, that I tell people not to be joined with the world. But here's the thing. Jesus was the most heavenly-minded person, and yet he was also of the most earthly good. Jesus attended these settings, and he never sinned. And yet Jesus in this setting brings life to the party. And the question is, are we walking like Jesus in that way? And can we as a church use social settings to build spiritual bridges? Because we cannot have impact without contact. And yes, we are to be separate from the world in the sense of not taking up its values and its morals. The scriptures actually say we are not to love the world. But make no mistake, you and I, we are sent into the world. John chapter 20 verse 21 says, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You are not sent away, you are sent into And Jesus used these social spaces to build spiritual bridges. Are you approachable, hospitable? Are you available? 
to point people to God. What does this mean for us? It means that I'm going to challenge you here today in this phase one, in our group's phase of reopening. I want to challenge you to get with those, of, those that you know at Northeast, friends, uh, life group members, and I want to challenge you to host a block party. Right now on our website, you can go and register to host a block party. And the reason that we're going to ask you to register is because we're going to give away free kits to help you host a social space for the purpose of beginning to build spiritual bridges with your neighbors. If you register for a block party right now at nebc.ch slash block party, or just go onto our website and look for the banner for this, register. And there, we're going to give you everything you need to host a social space in order to build a spiritual bridge. We're going to offer up to you free kits to help you get started with what you need to host the block party. We're going to offer you instructions as to how to host a block party. We've even put up a Spotify playlist with party music, and we have linked to party games that you can use to get to know your neighbors because we want to redeem these spaces in order to build spiritual bridges. If you're a family with kids or students in our next-gen ministry, when you fill out that form to host a block party or to show interest, there'll be a place where you can check off which next-gen ministry you are a part of. And I want you to check that off because here's what our next-gen ministry is doing. If you check that off, the next-gen ministry is going to come around you and provide resources for you to host for those kids in that age group as well. If you check that off, you're going to be entered into a raffle, and our next-gen ministry is raffling off an outdoor movie kit with an inflatable screen and everything you need so that you can show something to the kids at the block party. And not only that, the interns are going to choose people and show up and deliver dessert to these block parties. Why are we doing this? Because lost people matter to God, and Jesus drew near. And he used social spaces to build spiritual bridges to the glory of God that he might ultimately be revealed. And if we claim to walk as Jesus walked, then we don't walk away from a dying world. We walk towards it. And we choose to be approachable and hospitable and social. And we choose to be relatable so that we might take social spaces and use them to build spiritual bridges. There's a a second thing, a second thing in the story, though, that I want to hit on as we close. And the second thing is this. Jesus here doesn't just perform a miracle. If if all you're thinking of is, is this as a miracle, water into wine, then all this is is a story of a really neat party trick. But that was not the intent. That's not why it's preserved for us. John goes on and in verse 11 acknowledges that Jesus performed this as his first sign that he might manifest, that means reveal his glory. Here's the thing. John doesn't call it a miracle. In fact, in in the Greek, there are two distinct words for miracle or signs. At times, John says Jesus does miracles. At other times, he says he performs a sign. Here, he acknowledges this is a sign. How is that significant? A miracle reveals the power of God, but a sign reveals something about the character, the nature, or the work of God. Jesus does this to reveal something about the work of God, of what he has come to do. It's not just to show his power. It's not just a party trick. Jesus is sending a message. And what is the message that Jesus is sending? Jesus asked the servants to fill these six stone vessels 
these stone vessels that were used for purification. Purification meaning you, according to Old Testament law, would have to wash and purify yourself, cleanse yourself for the eating of meals and for other activities. These stone vessels represented the law and the thing that we had to do to prepare ourselves to come before God. And what does Jesus do in this setting? Jesus takes this vessel, this icon of our work, and he transforms it. He does something inside of it and changes it from the inside out. Once these vessels were filled with wine, there was no way that they could go back to being used for Old Testament purification, for cleansing. Once they'd been filled with wine, they were forever changed. They could not go back. And that, my friends, is the picture of what Jesus has come to do for you and for me. He comes to remove from us the burden of what we feel we have to do to earn God's favor. And instead, Jesus does a work deep on the inside, from the inside out. And when he does that work, we are forever changed. There is no going back. Jesus here is sending a message. And the message is this, that Jesus has come to give life and to give life abundantly. Jesus doesn't come to throw cold water on this party. Jesus comes and he blesses the party. Jesus comes and he takes this thing that required our work and he instead makes it about his work that forever changes us. No turning back. No turning back. See, Jesus longs to repurpose our lives. Jesus longs to do this work deep inside of us to transform us, to take something ordinary and make it extraordinary. Jesus turns water, which is common, and he turns it into the best of wine. But the thing is, you have to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for him to do this work deep inside of you because it's not a work that you can do. Romans chapter 3 tells us that we need this because all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. But just before that, in Romans chapter 3, Paul says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. By works of the law, meaning by your work, by your effort, no human being can be made right before God. It is only by Jesus' work that we are made right. Only by his work deep in us that we are transformed forever. So what do we need? We need God to do this work within us. John would later write in the book of 1 John, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then you don't know the better life that he died to give you, the power of this life that he longs to give you. And it happens when you're willing to confess your sin and place your faith in Jesus. If you've never done that, would you, as we close today, would you join me in accepting Jesus' work on your behalf? Would you right where you are right now, would you just bow in prayer with me? Father God, 
Father God, I confess that there is no amount of work that I can do to fix and undo the wrong, the sin. Father, I can't go back into my past and change my actions or decisions. Father, I'm stuck now in the consequence of those things, and yet you promise forgiveness. You promise life and life abundant. So, Father, I place my faith in you. I choose to trust you and ask for your forgiveness of my sin. God, would you come in and renew me and change me from the inside out and teach me now how to walk in newness of life, honoring you. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And don't go anywhere because it's based on this incredible work that God does that the scriptures invites us then to celebrate and remember his work together as a church family. We do this through this picture of the bread and the cup, the bread and wine. Jesus commemorated this moment for us in what's called the the Last Supper, the Passover dinner, on a night when the Jews had gathered to celebrate God's redemption of them from slavery in Egypt. Jesus took this feast and he redirected it in a new way. And as he headed towards the cross, he took his disciples and he said, this bread is my body broken for you, and this cup is my blood shed for you. And Jesus gave new meaning to the feast, new meaning to the celebration. And so together as a church family, together as families watching online or alone, as watch parties, we want to invite you now to prepare for communion. This is something the scriptures call us to if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then we invite you into this moment. Grab the bread and let's together take this. If you have a loaf, everyone rip off a piece. If there are crackers, pass those around the room or prepare your heart now. Let's prepare our hearts before God and let's take that bread and let's remember what Jesus said on the night before he gave up his life. He says this is my body broken for you, that Jesus willingly gave up his life for us by taking the cross, allowing himself to suffer and die in our place. He says, this is my body. Take it and eat. Let's eat together. And then there in that upper room with his disciples, He took the cup, a cup filled with wine. The sweetness of the wine was to remind the Jews of the sweetness of God's redemption, the sweetness of freedom from slavery. And Jesus taking this cup says, this is my blood. It's a cup of a new covenant, a new promise that I'm making to you. And because of Jesus' blood, he has set us free from sin that we might walk in newness of life. And so taking the cup together, let us remember the sweetness of God's forgiveness. Let's take and drink. So Father, we thank you that you so love the world that you sent your son that whoever would believe in him 
would have everlasting, eternal life. Thank you, Father, for this reminder that Jesus paid it all, that we do not have to do the work ourselves, but because of your work in sending your son and Jesus' work in laying his life down, we are free, and we celebrate that. We taste its sweetness, and we thank you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made, or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.